venturing along here in Philippians. Um, so far, I've gone through, we've gotten through the first chapter. So we're up to Philippians 2, verse 1. We'll just read the first verse. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, verse 2, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Father, you pose these things to us, Lord. You know all things, and you are our great hope. You are the one in whom we have comfort, Lord. You're the only one that can make us uh, Lord, kings and thrones can be uncomfortable because they don't know you and they worry, there's fear. Um, Lord, but in a jail cell, Paul can write these things. And uh, we know that comfort only comes from you, Lord, and we want you to minister to us because we want to be what you want us to be, Lord. And you've given us your word to know that, Lord. So I just pray that it would take effect in our hearts and bear fruit for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So Philippians 2, verse 1, therefore, we're not going to get very far until we go backwards. What is therefore? Therefore means whenever, as you all know, what, if it says therefore, what is it therefore? He's making a response to something previously. So if you just back up two verses. Um, we went over this last time. So Philippians 1, 29, for to you it has been granted, there's something from the throne room of God through his power given to us on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. So Paul is telling them they have the same conflict that they saw. And if we remember when Paul was in Philippians, in Philippi, he actually suffered through some persecution, ended up in jail, had difficulty and then they also know now that they sent Epaphroditus to Paul in, in Rome in jail. So not only had they seen him go through difficulty, they hear that he is now there, but he says they are having the same conflict. So there are people in Philippi going through the same thing that Paul is going through. And Paul has a lot of experience here, and he's sharing what he has received from Christ to encourage them to go through the same thing. So since these things are true, therefore... Since you are going through persecution and possibly in the same conflict, maybe some have been imprisoned. If there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, and that word there that we read about, if obviously can be also translated since. And we'll go through that more thoroughly. But there are people that are in jail or going through persecution or might be home in a difficult situation or might be in a hospital bed or might be home lonely, struggling. A lot of the things that we just kind of sung about in places where our hearts can be. If there is any there, here's some encouragement for us. This is how Paul dealt with it. And uh, before we get into it, just to flip real quick to Matthew 11, um, a verse that came to my mind in preparing for this 
was John the Baptist. So John the Baptist had been imprisoned and evidently distraught, right? And Matthew 11, verse 1, talks about Jesus finishing, commanding his 12 disciples. He departed and went to teach in their cities. Uh, two, and when John had heard, and when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. So John the Baptist himself, all through the ministry, filled with the Holy Spirit, had a calling and anointing on his life, and things, it seems, anyways, that at the end of his ministry, when God had answered his call that he must increase, I must decrease, it seemed like he was unsure what was going on. And he's sitting in jail, and he'd heard that there's still things going on, but maybe not in his life. And uh, verse 3, it said to him, Are you... So John's disciples went and came to Jesus and said, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And he might have just wondering, was the Messiah going to come and bring in the kingdom, because it's not coming, in fact, or is he just saying, out of his own benefit, why, didn't, why can't you get me out? What's wrong? <laughs> there were miracles being happening, and now did, did it get breakage? Should I, we don't know if he's pouting. We're not sure if he's confused. We don't know. But for Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the leopards are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And evidently there can be a reason we become offended, even because of Christ. And it might be because something difficult is happening in our lives, maybe sitting in a jail cell, maybe the Philippians are dealing with the same thing. And then we can go down to read, and he obviously, Jesus has great praise for John the Baptist. John the Baptist wasn't inadequate, and he wasn't uh, unable to serve God. It's just that he had a calling, and his ministry was coming to an end. In fact, in verse 13, he says, For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. In understanding scripture, right, John was the last of the Old Testament prophets, even though he was written in the New Testament. Right, we read in Hebrews, it says that unless there's a death of the testator, the testament doesn't go into effect. So the New Testament begins at the death of Christ. So John the Baptist, the law and the prophets, he is the last one, and the last one was able to point to him physically and say, there he is. He had a, he had a great calling in his life. So back in Philippians, we read that Paul wrote this letter to them, right? And we're aware that he was in jail waiting judgment at this time, right? So Paul's in jail. The, the conflict that you hear is in me, and uh, we don't need to go there. But in Acts 25, Paul stood before a judge, a court, right? He stood bef in a, before Festus, then he stood before Agrippa. In Acts 26, he makes an appeal to Caesar. So now all of a sudden, Paul is in Rome, and uh, I was going to go there, but in Acts 28, yeah, I'll go there. Acts 28, quickly. Um, in verse 16, it says, Now when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, Though I have done nothing against our people or the custom of our fathers, yet I delivered, 
I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go, but because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation, I'm not going to Caesar to tell on them, but for this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain because I believed Israel's Messiah has come. Then they said to him, we neither receive letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you, but we desire to hear from you what you think for concerning this sect, we now, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law and Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken and some disbelieved. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word, the Holy Spirit rightly through Isaiah the prophet, to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive, for their hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Therefore, because of that, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed in a great dispute amongst themselves. Then Paul, verse 30, then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him. So at this time is when Paul is in the house and arrested, is writing to the Philippian church. We believe this is when he wrote that letter. So Paul in Rome, in jail, and as we read last time, he says, you know, I don't know if I'm going to choose to come or to go. It's better if you if I stay, so I want to come again. He ends up getting out of jail, right? And uh, just through history, we know that that was probably between 62, 64 BC, and then after that, he writes First and Second Timothy, and then after that, uh, this madman Nero. There's a fire in Rome, and he ends up having Paul put to death. So, but during this time, he's in jail. He's there. He sees God's hand in it. He's trying to get by. God has favor upon him. He's writing to the Philippians who are going through the exact same thing he's going through through difficulty. And he says, therefore, and again, he, he has these five things that he points out to them. And uh, again, it can be therefore or since is a good translation for that. And the, and the things that he has proposed, these, they're nouns, they're truths, they're good doctrine, and they're yours if you're a Christian. And, and the one word, the first thing that he mentions is consolation. And the consolation, which, looking into my concordance and Greek lexicon and trying to dig into this, which I'm no scholar by any means, but I found it rather interesting. Because the word, con, uh, the word consolation can also be, other places in the Bible is also interpreted as comfort. And the next thing he says is comfort. And then I looked it up. There, comfort. The word comfort in the, in the New Testament is listed 23 times, and there's 11 different Greek words translated into comfort. So the Bible, God is pretty clear. He wants us to understand this, and we lose a little bit through the interpretation of the English, just like in love. I love my wife. I love hot dogs. 
It doesn't mean the same. In the Greek, it explains it a little bit better. There's different ways and versions of comfort. Of the 23 times, verses, 11 words, seven of them are all a derivative, the beginning with para. They're all a derivative of the same word. And we're familiar with the Paracletes, right? The comforter shall come. He will draw alongside of you. So the first two are, are both a derivative of that word. One's paraclesis, and the other one is paramithion. So God has this sense of drawing alongside, and that's the thing that brings comfort, right? As we were talking before, in his presence is the fullness of joy. We can have joy through difficult times because he's there, and he cares, right? So the consolation, it means to draw close. And uh, that's the same word that was used in Luke 2, when Simeon said he waited for the consolation of Israel, that word, I was waiting for the one that was to be sent to draw alongside of us from God. And it's also in Acts 9.31, where after a difficult thing happened, the Holy Spirit made a decision, and it says that they grew in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and in the fear of God. And those two things work together. If you fear God, not necessarily are scared of him, but you have an awe of him, you put him in the right place. What is fear? Right? Fear is a proper assessment. Fear in and of itself isn't bad. If, if a lion comes walking in here, you should be scared. It'll, actually, your body will help you run faster. <laughs> it's, it's a right assessment of the thing. If, and the same thing happens if all of a sudden an angel, like Rob mentioned, if an angel shows up and all of a sudden you're there, you're going to fall on your face. It's not a wrong thing to do. Let him pick you up which he will. He'll be the one. So to have this awe of God, but with it comes the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and you can't have one without the other. If you're not walking with him, you're not going to know that you're right with him. If he's not present, he's the one that has to tell you that everything's okay. His presence is the acknowledgement that everything's okay. And comfort refers to his presence, the para. So we see that there's the consolation or the para in Christ, if there is any comfort that's coming alongside of love, the, the, the coming alongside of love, Jesus is love, God is love, the Holy Spirit, the fruit is love. He want, the Holy Spirit wants to come alongside you. Everything's okay. If there's any fellowship of the Spirit, right? In the word fellowship, we know it's koinonia, right? And I heard a simple pastor teach it a simple way that it's stuck because it makes sense to me, and I think it's deep. <laughs> but the, the breakdown, the word fellowship can just be two fellows in the same ship. What does that imply? They're together. They have the same means to get where they're going, and they have the same destination. The boat's going the same way. They might have different duties on the ship. They might have different jobs to do on the ship. They might have a different anointing while they're going, but they're going the same direction by the same means to end up at the same place. And this is all going to come into play in the next few verses any fellowship of the Spirit. The Spirit isn't fighting with himself. He, he's the one that orders how people work in the ship, and that gives the ship direction. And since there's any affection and mercy, right? And uh, therefore, because you're going through difficulty, since there's consolation, the comfort of a coming alongside of Christ, if there is comfort of love, that he comes alongside of you in it. If there is fellowship to going to the same place of the Spirit, because we can, we can fight with God, we can grieve the Spirit, we can go against him. If there is, or since he has made it available, 
this fellowship in the spirit and the affection and mercy. He says, those are all nouns, they're truths, they're available to you to a verb, fulfill. There's an action. He says, if these things, since these things are true, then this is what should happen. Fulfill ye my joy by being like-minded. So Paul is like, you know what would bring me joy? Because the Holy Spirit fills me and he's the one leading me and I'm trying to encourage you to walk and get close to God is that if you do what God has called you to do, then the church is happy, God is happy, and it doesn't matter what the world does. They can beat us, they can throw us into jail, they can try to stop us. That's where joy is. Joy is being in God's will with his presence no matter where you are or what you're doing. And sometimes you're in a place because God wants to show you something about himself. He suffered, right? We read that the very first thing in verse 29. It's been granted on Christ's behalf that you can suffer for his sake. It's a privilege, and we talked about that last time. It does a couple things. Sometimes something happens to you just because he wants somebody else to see you go through it because they need to see it. It might have nothing to do with you other than it's your call at that moment to do it. And how are we going to do it? How, what are we going to allow God to do? You know, you ask him to use you, and then he uses you, and then you complain. Well, maybe that's just me. <laughs> why, why, why are they here? Why is this so hard? Lord, help me love better. Then why is this unlovable person here? You know, maybe that by being means, or maybe they're just unloving, and he wants you to love on them so that they can see what true love is. Maybe they don't know. Um, he says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. And like-minded is two words in English. It's also two words in the Greek. And like means like, the same, right? And that word mind is psyche, which can also, in the Bible, that same Greek word is translated sometimes as soul, sometimes as life, sometimes as mind, and sometimes as heart. Fulfill my joy by being by having the same soul, life, mind, and heart. Having this, the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. And then it says, be on the same page. Be two people going to the same place by the same power with the same destination. And ultimately, right, if you, you ever try to decide at home what's for dinner, <laughs> what do you want to eat, what do you want to eat, what do you, where do you want to go? I remember when I was a kid, what do you want to do? I don't know, there's nothing to do. What do you want to do? I don't know. God speaks, God directs, God can grant things. And when ministry and life and purpose, I mean, as a nation, we're not there. We don't all agree because we don't all want to go to the same place. We have a different goal, and we have a different way of getting there. God cares how we get there, not just where we end up. If he's not in charge, that's why it's as blessed as the nation who's, who's God, who's the Lord, is, God is their Lord, because they now have vision, they have direction, and they're going someplace. But he never called the, a nation or the government to be the means through salvation. He called the church, so we need to get this right. And he's supplied everything that we need to do it. And we are en route and on that way if we just let him do it. In verse 3, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Okay, so you probably got all that down. That's easy, right? <laughs> that, that is what verse 2 
If, if verse 1 is true and you take it to heart and walk by faith in verse, and sorry, verse, since verse 1 is true and you take it to heart and walk by faith in verse 2, all of those things, this is what it looks like, 3 and 4. That you can't do 3 and 4 without 2. All you have to do is obey and that will be the result of it. Because if you're like-minded, if you have love, if you are of one accord, then that looks like you're not doing anything for yourself. The boat has a destination. You're not choosing where you're going. You're not choosing how you get there. If God is the Lord, then this is the natural process of how it should look. Right? And you can have lots of spiritual gifts, right? Wasn't that the problem with the Corinthian church? They had lots of stuff going on, but they were constantly bickering and biting and fighting because they, they were all doing it for the wrong reason. They wanted to be noticed. They wanted to hear people. I want people to know I have the gift of tongue. I want them to see me. I want attention to myself. I'm following this guy. He's a better teacher than that guy. And there was just all this division and problems. He just said, you know what? Have the heart of Christ. Have the goal and the vision. And I just like the Amplified Bible's version. I'll just read the first five verses in the Amplified Bible. Therefore... If there is any encouragement and comfort in Christ, as there certainly is in abundance, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship that we share in the Spirit, if there is any great depth of affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, having the same love toward one another, knit together in the Spirit, intent on one purpose, and living a life that reflects your faith, and spreads the gospel, the good news regarding salvation through faith in Christ. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit through factional motives or strife, but with an attitude of humility, being neither arrogant nor self-righteous. Regard others as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And where we haven't gone yet, verse 5, have the same attitude in yourself which was in Christ Jesus. Look to him as your example in selfless humility. So we see the exhortation to selflessness and humility. Be humble. You think humility is a good thing? Everybody likes being around humble people. <laughs> there, how, how do you become humble? The fact, sometimes people say it's a selflessness. So if you try, then you're doing it. It's, it I, the best thing I can come up with, because pride issues, I think God showed me. You can't, it's like, just like if you have a problem with looking at something you're not supposed to see, how do you stop it? You'll look around until you see it, and then you know not where to look where you just saw it. It's difficult, right? You can't go surfing the web for things not to look at to know where not to go because you already went there. <laughs> How do you try to be humble? I got this. I'm going to be humble. No, that's not, hum that's not humility. I, th I think humility is something that happens to you. If you end up in the presence of God, you don't have to try to be humble. <laughs> if you're standing before somebody really big, you don't have to try to act weak and small. If you're around somebody that's really intelligent, you don't have to try to feel stupid. It happens. If you are in the presence of God, you're going to be humbled. Just be close to him. That's humility. Just be in the presence of God. You think you sound arrogant talking to somebody? Well, is Jesus right there watching you talk like that to him? It's going to change how you talk to people. <laughs> 
because I know he's listening. I know he wants to say something to them, and I don't think I'm saying what he wants me to say. <laughs> and if you have a fear of God and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, you're going to talk differently. Jesus was our example. Let, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, speaking of Christ Jesus, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus, the God-man. We're going to see in these verses, verse 6, it basically declares Jesus is God. It says in verse 7, the miracle of the incarnation. So pretty soon I'm about to explain that to you, and you guys will all understand it. <laughs> very, very humbling. <laughs> verse 8, this that Jesus is God and the miracle of the incarnation. In verse 8, he became a man. And it says in 9-11, this God-man is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Writing to people that are going through difficulty, whatever it may be, in their circumstance, it was the same difficulty that they saw in him and now know is in him. They're maybe about to go to stand before a judge like, like Paul was. And Paul's like, you know what you need to remember? First of all, Jesus is God. He became a man. And he's Lord. He's in charge. God is in charge. And maybe that judge isn't sitting there thinking, as I'm about to talk to this Christian because they were acting like a Christian, that God is watching me as I'm saying it. But I can know that God is watching both of us. And ultimately, which one do I care about the most? One can make me uncomfortable the other can set me free and reward me. And who's actually in, in charge? As you know, I was in prison ministry for many years, and a lot of guys would ask me to pray, and they would ask me to pray that they would get out or that they would be free or that or whatever they would pray. And I'm like, first of all, I don't know what God's will is. Second of all, some of you need to be here. It's better for you. It's better for us, but it's better for you. So normally what I would pray is, Lord, I know that they're going to stand before a man, but I just pray that whatever you dictate from your throne room is what comes to pass, and I just pray that they would know that that's where it came from and that they could walk by faith in it and not fight you because ultimately that's the thing that matters. So God is in control. So he goes on to say, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, verse 5. We are to have that mind of Christ. Jesus had everything, and he gave it all up for a greater cause, for a purpose, because of love. And that's the mind that we're supposed to have, just like we wrote, read in uh, To Be Like-Minded. We're to be like-minded altogether, but we're also to be like-minded with God. Let this, and it's a lot, it's, it's something you have to allow. We can choose to walk in the flesh, or we can choose 
to walk in the Spirit? Who's going to control us? What are we going to let govern our motives, our thoughts, our desires? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And if Christ Jesus can do it, if he could lower himself to it, anything he lowers himself to is usually a step up for me. Right? He became a man. That's not like me becoming a kid. It's not like me even becoming an ant, right? As was taught, right? An ant, the step down to humanity. I, I don't know if I want to go there, but another one of my favorite pastors gave another example. It has something to do with, uh, with bathroom stuff, so I won't go there. But the bacteria that eats it, he had a septic tank, and a heater fell into it, and it froze. And he's like, that's gone. Because you have to warm up. He said, but those things, what they feed off of is kind of like in God's eyes what we feed off of. And him going down into that to save it, that guy is not as big a step as it was for God to come down and to become a man. Because how does he view what we do? It says that man looks upon the heart. God looks upon the heart. Man looks upon the outside appearance. But God looks upon the heart. You know what our hearts sometimes look like? What do we look like to him? What was it for him to become a man. It's hard to imagine. And uh, thank God for grace. Thank God he was willing. Thank God for love. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So when he's equal with God, he's not stealing anything. It's not robbery, because they are his. Anybody else says, I'm this, I'm that, and they're not. It's stealing. If you try to, right, we all know that we steal, right, mostly time. For me, maybe I don't know about mostly, but God has given us so much. The Bible says to redeem the time. We only have so much time. He doesn't say try to get more time. He doesn't say live longer. He says buy back the time that you have. Do something with it. Because ultimately we gave everything to him. It's his. And there's a football game going on. You guys are awesome. <laughs> you redeem some time. But preaching to the choir, he made himself of no reputation. Seven. He made himself of no reputation. What reputation would God have? I mean, everybody, all the demons are scared of him when they see him. He runs everything. He has all power, all knowledge, and he's everywhere at once. And he, like, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a slave, a bond slave, a bond servant, and he came in the likeness of men. So it's like a step down, no reputation, a bond servant, and men was below that. Self-serving, prideful. What do we have that we weren't given, yet we boast? We're all that. Eight, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient, even to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So God took on flesh and came down, right? We know the incarnation, right? He came the virgin birth. Some people say 
that in order for him to be sinless, Mary had to be sinless because she couldn't give forth to a child that was sinful. Right? When we understand this whole kinsman redeemer, right, talked in Ruth, all through the Bible, there's this kinsman redeemer. So in order to pay for something, you had to be a close relative, right? So what made Jesus perfect? It's because he was God. The Holy Spirit was his dad. He received something from him. That's what made him. And the only thing he had that he needed left was to become human, and that's what Mary provided. All Mary had to do was be alive and human. So he became born of a woman to take on flesh, but he was sinless because God was his dad. The Holy Spirit, God in human flesh, clothed. There's many things we can't explain. Many. Study really hard and you'll come up with more. I have this, this open door theory that helps because otherwise I'll go insane because of my pride. But you know, the more, the more you, So all of a sudden you're sitting there and you're looking and you find a truth. And you're like, wow, there's a door and it's closed. And you got like an answer. All of a sudden he gives you some knowledge to open the door. And now you, you learn something and you go in and there's a room full of doors. It's like, now I have more questions. <laughs> and it's like, it's a continual growth. So the more you learn, the more you, want, you don't know. The more you learn about God, the more you're humbled, the more you realize there is to know. You think that you know something, and then you are learning to know that you really don't know. But he does show you things. You grow. You grow in things, but it's humbling the closer you get. And the other thing is we're learning, what are we learning about? We're learning about God, right? So God says, learn to me. And then he also says, I'm unknowable. Okay, so he, he can tell you what he wants about himself, right? So what are you learning? One of the things I'm learning, the closer you get to God, he's holy, and you're not. So all of a sudden you realize this separation between you and him, that you thought you and God, you know, the good old man upstairs, we're tight, Jesus died for me, we're close. And then as you start looking, you're realizing the gap between the two of you is farther and farther apart. And you would think that would mean that you're getting separated from him. But as you're learning that the gap between you and God is greater, that just means that you're more dependent upon what he does. And the thing that bridges that gap between you and him is his love. So as you are made more aware of how much you fall short, you're, you're learning how much love he has, right? And didn't he tell that to the woman? In uh, John, there was... She came to the place, and they were like, oh, if you were a prophet, you'd know who she was. She's a harlot. She was washing his feet with his oil. And he goes on to say that, you know, from the time I came in, you didn't realize things. He goes, let's just say there's two people, and one owes a little, one owes a lot, and God forgives them both. Which one will love them more? And he says, oh, I suppose the one that he forgave the most will love the most. And he's like, right. And it's not that some people sin more, and God allows it because he wants them to be able to love more. We all sin more. Some people are aware of it. The more you become aware, so as our pastor used to say, as you grow, you should be sinning less but repenting more. You're more aware of what sin is. Repentance is a gift. And what is it to repent? What are you doing? You're actually confessing to him. It draws you to his You're talking to him. You're talking to him. It keeps you in his presence. And then you realize as you repent that he told you to because he wants to forgive you. The whole sacrificial system was set up because he wants to be, you to know that he'll forgive you. 
not that I can do this and be right so I'm good. It's that, no, you weren't right and you do need help. And, and the Messiah is the one that's coming, that his blood is going to be shed. So it's all pointing to Jesus. He wants us to know. And uh, the God-man, First Timothy, read a couple of verses here. First Timothy 3. It says in verse 14, These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth, of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. Without controversy, great is the mystery. It means a hidden truth. God was manifested. That means a truth unveiled. There was this mystery, and it was unveiled in Christ. God, who was, what is God like? He was manifested. He was made exposed in the human, and in, in the person, in the man of Jesus. And we also know in John, right, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He created everything that was created. Some people say, well, the Word was God, wasn't in there. Jehovah's Witnesses, other people. Okay, well, it says that everything that was created, he created. If he was created, he wasn't there to create himself. <laughs> if he created everything that was created, he obviously was beforehand. And then it goes on, and it states that he was there. It's clear that Jesus is God, and it says in verse 14, and and and. and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This God-man walking in our midst. And he was justified to declare. It means to be declared one is righteous. So he was manifested in the flesh and he was justified in the spirit. And that's how we're justified, if you're justified. right? Just as if I'd never sinned, which I recently shared that too. It's better than just being forgiven. God doesn't say, okay, you were bad, but I'll let it go. He says, you know what? Because of what my son did on the cross, I don't even see it anymore. It's gone. So all of these things that we read about in uh, Philippians, they're good doctrine. It can be talked about individually. We can talk about the incarnation. We can talk about the fellowship. We can talk about spirit. But I believe that there was more than that. Jesus is God. He became a man and he died for us and he was a humble servant. So what Paul brought all those things up for, I believe, to the Philippian church was for a purpose. These are the things that he talked about. One, one of the things I think he wanted them to know. God is aware of what is happening. He knows what you're going through. He knows what they're going through. Not only does he know but we also have a, a high priest who has compassion because he went through them also. Jesus was thrown in jail, you know, beat, accused, difficulty, rejected, brutally. He went through more than any of us will ever go through. He knows what, he's aware of what is happening. He's also a righteous judge. They're about to probably, maybe, stand before somebody and he's like, you know what, there's a judge and he's righteous and, and, and Jesus is the righteous judge. And he's also not only a judge, but he's a God and can forgive sins and offenses, right? And I mentioned uh, 
in John there, but it also says in Luke chapter 3, let's see, in verse, in th- yeah, Luke, I'm sorry, not Luke 3, Luke seven thirty-six. That's better. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. So this is the story that I mentioned, right? There was a prophet, and it says in verse 39, the Pharisees invited him and saw this. He spoke to him, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, Teacher, say it. 41, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, with her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman had not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves. And we talked about that. We all can learn to grow in our love. 49. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So they rightly discerned, not only was this woman a sinner, but if you're a sinner, sin means to miss the mark. You, did, you, you weren't in the boat, you weren't going the right direction, and you weren't aimed at the right thing. You're going the wrong direction. Right in old archery term, that when you shoot and you miss the bullseye, you're going the wrong way. And who decides which way you go? Sin. They understood. When you sin, you sin against God. Like David said, I've sinned against you and you alone have I sinned. Jesus was standing there and said, your sins are forgiven. And they're like, how can you forgive her sin? She sinned against God, not you. If one of you walks up to Rob after service and slaps him, and I laugh. No way, I wouldn't laugh. But, <laughs> but I'm like, don't worry about it. He doesn't care. He might be like, what are you talking about? I care. <laughs> Right? If you offended him, he has to be the one to forgive you. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven because he's God. He can do that. He can forgive sins because he's God. So not only is Jesus a righteous judge, he, the third point, Jesus is God and can forgive offenses. And not only is not only a judge, but he's also our mediator. He's our attorney. He's the one we read about in Hebrews 8. We have a mediator in heaven, a go-between. He's the one that can put his hands on both of us. And then he tells him uh, in the end of Philippians chapter 3, I kind of just labeled this as press on and keep the faith. So the very Philippians 3 verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, 
for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I might obtain to the resurrection of the dead, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And uh, God is aware of what's happening. I didn't read it, but if you go to Second Thessalonians chapter 1, this whole thing is he sees what's going on. He knows what they're doing. He says, I'm going to judge those that are treating you wrong. There is a judgment coming for them. But not only does that bring you comfort, but that should also mean they're treating you in such a way because I want them to see something in you. How are you going through that trial? I will punish evil, but I, but, but, Anger and taking out frustration on people that won't commit to me is a strange work for me. I don't want to do that. I'm allowing things to happen for a reason. Don't worry about the outcome of them. You just worry about how you're going through it. God is aware of what's happening. He is a righteous judge. He can and will or has forgiven offenses in his son. And he's not only the judge, but is the mediator. He's our attorney. He knows what we're going through. He cares. And he just encourages us. Just press on and keep the faith. Just keep walking by faith. And uh, I think we'll end it there. Um, I would also recommend, if you're standing there, and maybe you're about to go to court. I know some people that are about to go to stand before a judge. These people were about to do something. Maybe you're going to stand before a doctor and hear a sentence. Maybe something is going on that you're not sure about and you're uneasy. Um, it, it would... I think hopefully make you understand what's going on. It'll also bring clarity to Revelation as we're going through it, especially towards the end, um, specifically in regards to the Antichrist uh, in Daniel 7. Um, but the spirit of Antichrist is out there right now, and it's going. And you can see God on the throne making a judgment in Daniel 7. He's got it. He's going to take care of it. For us today, what we're going through, the spirit of Antichrist, these things that might be giving us a hard time, and before you say what is supposed to happen, God's like, I've got it all under control. I'm aware of what's happening. I'm a righteous judge. I can forgive. I have forgiven you, verse 1, right? Now these things are true. Since they're true, you just worry about fulfilling my joy. You take care of what you need to take care of. I will take care of what I need to take care of. I'm not only a judge, I'm a mediator. Just press on. I got it under control. And if the end is bad for them. Some people that makes happy. Hopefully it makes you sad. They need help. God wants us to be the help. Don't let them become your enemy. Have a goal, have a vision. Let him tell you where, where that is. Let him be the one that takes you there. And don't worry about it. He will take care of it. He's going to take care of it. Some people are hell-bent, and they're hell-bound. 
You don't have to worry about them. God's taking care of it. Well, Father, we just thank you that you have provided everything that we need in your son and that you then brought your son here in, in a body, Lord, not only to take care of the biggest debt that we couldn't pay, but also to show us as an example, Lord, and we know that you're capable and we're not, but Lord, you are willing. Lord, if we're not capable of doing it, at least cause us to want to do it and, and help us when we cry out to you and help us to repent more and help us to realize that you have forgiven us more. And, and, and we know that you have done all of those things, Lord. We don't want to be denying what your word says and what we know by your spirit to be true about you. Um, help us to disbelieve it and then walk in it. And thank you for anything you've ever done in us that, that's worthy, Lord, because you're the only one that can do it. And thank you that you were willing and uh, cause us all to be like-minded, having the same life source, your son, the spirit in us, leading us and guiding us home. And we look forward to seeing you soon. In Jesus' name, amen.